my friends, I'll say amen <laughs> and good morning. Uh, welcome to uh, our first Sunday of 2022, and uh, we are starting a tradition. I, I have to tell you this, as I was thinking about this this week, I'm, uh, I'm a fiddle around the roof guy, you know, you remember that show? You know, where Tevye sings tradition, anyway, so that's it. Okay, <laughs> so let me move on. So <laughs> that's as much, oh yeah, Quinn said I couldn't sing, but anyway, okay. <laughs> um, this sermon uh, is to remind us to continue to run the race of faith and, and what it takes. So I want to tell you a sea story. I use those many times because I spent about 31 years between the Coast Guard and the Navy and uh, spent a lot of time on the ocean. And uh, so many of my sermons include those. I also want to tell you, too, that I realized uh, in the last couple of days that it's 50 years ago in October that I went to the Coast Guard boot camp in Cape May, New Jersey as an 18-year-old. That'll tell you how old I am. That's enough of that, too. But um, it's hard to imagine 50 years ago being there, doing push-ups, going, what did I ever do to do? Oh, it was just, it was an emotional experience the whole 12 weeks I was there. So, um, And also some of my favorite memories are working on lighthouses on the Great Lakes and on the East Coast where I was stationed and... Uh, and then, of course, great memories using them for navigation uh, when the weather was just horrible. And the, I'll say the peace they gave us in the midst of some, some tough days and nights. The Coast Guard also built light towers. Not many of them. They're steel structures. And they built them because they could, uh, because they could not put a lighthouse in marshy areas. They could drive pilings and put these uh, light towers up uh, where we needed uh, aids to navigation. And this is a story about depending on light and, and those things. So I was two days from finishing my initial enlistment in the Coast Guard. So that's 1976 now, and um, in early October. And uh, I had been accepted to college. I was going to begin my journey to become a, a Navy chaplain in, the, in January of that year. And uh, one thing you didn't want to happen when you were on active duty and it's your last few days is to get called out on a search and rescue case. And it's not because we couldn't do it. It's just because of the fears of what if you wrecked the boat? <laughs> you got two days left and now you're staying for another six months to figure out that part. Uh, what if something happened to one of your crew members when you're picking people? Just all those things. And sure enough, Murphy law, Murphy's law rules. And we received, we received a dis distress call about... 48 hours before I was due to be discharged from the Coast Guard, and I was the heavy weather coxswain boat driver, and when the alarm went off about 3 in the morning, I was just, I wasn't panicked, but I'm like, no, no, no. And so we got dressed. We were wearing exposure suits, really thick things that you, you know, zipped up to here, and everything itched or ached by the time you got them on, and you knew that you were going to wear it for probably 12 or 16, 18, 24 hours, so... That's an experience in itself. And so we, so we were called to go about 30 miles offshore off the coast of New Jersey, which is a haul in a boat that goes about 12 knots in, when it's flat, when it's a head sea, which is what you do when you go out into the ocean. You're going to make maybe six or eight miles an hour over land. And so it's going to be a long ride even to get there. And um, so that makes it difficult. And we would more than likely... And it was so not be back to the next morning, <laughs> sometime, hopefully before daylight, so I could get my stuff and leave the Coast Guard. <laughs> that was my goal. So, um, 
And that's the way those things, uh, things, things happen that day. So we headed offshore. Um, and the reason why we were called to go is because the weather was too bad for helicopters to fly. <laughs> the poor Hilo guys. It's too windy. But send the boat. It's just a, it's like, <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship. Yeah, you guys like the glory when it's just nice and sunny. But anyway, so out we go. And in a, in a head sea slows us down, like I said, and it makes it tough to keep your cookies down, you know, because you're just pounding, and diesel exhaust is running up inside where, where we sit and wait and go. So by the time we got there, we helped this vessel. I don't even know what it was, probably bringing pumps out to them because they were sinking. And so we completed our mission, and we turned around to head back, and it had been storming pretty much the whole day we were gone, and we knew that we wouldn't see land, if you could see it even then, until after dark. And we, got, we were kept up to uh, speed with uh, the aids of navigation in our area. And uh, the station I worked at called us and said, the buoys have been knocked off, basically knocked out of the inlet. So you won't have them to come back into the inlet when you get there. And you're like, this is, can't get much better. <laughs> I've got 24 hours left in the Coast Guard, and now I've got to figure out how to get back in the inlet. So um, by the time we made it to the inlet, it's now 10 o'clock or 11 that night, so we had left at 3 in the morning, so everybody's not feeling great because we've been beat up pretty well. And then as we, as we get to the island I was stationed on, the, uh, the town ended six miles from the mouth of the inlet, which means there's no lights. So when you see these lights, you know there's another six miles of sand going this way, and the next island south of us was deserted. So there's definitely no lights on that one. So, okay, and... The only light there was was a light, a navigational tower, about three miles inland from the inlet, which I could see because it was probably 60 or 70 feet in the air. So we had that, that much to go on. The other problem is it's pitch black, no moon, nothing but roaring wind, and once we got in the inlet, the waves, there's nothing worse in a boat than riding a trough, which is in the middle of the wave, and you get rolling like this, and the boat we drove had no keel, so it was round because it was made to roll over 360 degrees. So talking about cookies, <laughs> it's like you couldn't feel any better than that. So, <laughs> and so as we turned our searchlights on, we're trying to f figure out where we are, and, this, and it's so black that the light's just absorbed in the darkness. And the, uh, where the buoys were, they, they marked a channel, but th the channel, if it was there, we didn't know where it was. So I plotted a course from where I knew I was to that light, and I don't know what the heading was, but let's say we're going to the back door. So we're going to, that's where we want to go, and we begin to make movement, and I knew we would cross at least three or four sandbars, because that's just the way the inlet runs. Um, and then the next problem we would uh, encounter is a thing called set and drift, set and drift. And what it means is when you are, are in the water, you are setting, you are in the water and you're in a place and you're concerned with drift, which is caused by wind, tide, current. Um, so those things are pushing on you. And so we're trying to maintain our setting. And you might have heard this. If you left, Hawaii, uh, left San Diego going to Hawaii and you were one degree off on your compass, you'd never see Hawaii because <laughs> you'd be 100 more than that, three or 400 miles north or south, depending on where you were. So as we're coming in, I wanted to go that way, but every time I pointed that way, we'd either go this way, we'd go this way, it was, we'd go this way, and it was just, 
a remarkable <laughs> event. So maintaining the heading wasn't going to guarantee us that we were going to get to the place we needed to be. So current tide surf needed to be watched because it set us on a course that we didn't want to go on. And we, if we had not continually adjusted against those things, it would move us further away and probably put us on the ground uh, and we would have lost the boat. The, fro the forces that night were huge. Uh, we couldn't control any of them. Uh, we could only use our best seamanship skills and teamwork with a crew. One member on each side, and I'm in the middle driving. We're listening because you can hear when the water gets shallow, the water runs faster. You can hear things that are remarkable, which help you. Uh, we were looking, couldn't see much <laughs> except for the light, thank the Lord. Um, and we're continuing, I'm sorry, continually assessing the concept head on a swivel is where the, the, the Navy uses that quite a bit to give us the best possibility to enter into the bay so we could go home. So we started, and the next thing I knew, it took about 45 minutes, but it seemed like it was minutes. We were at the position where we were almost a mile off that light, which meant the waves had stopped, and it was quiet. And it was the weirdest thing in the world. We went, all, you could hear engines, and it's like, we're looking around like, we made it. So we're screaming like fools. Thank goodness nobody else is there but three of us. And then we turned the boat, and we went back, back home. So as we approach this text this morning, my desire is for us in 2022 to watch the set and drift in our spiritual lives individually and as a church because there are forces moving against us. I mean, personally, I mean, we heard about Charles, I mean, uh, and his family. Those are things that we are going to encounter as long as we breathe breath. So, so let's talk about that. And um, I want to talk about two things. The one is, the first one is this. This race is hard, but not without joy. It requires real and correct expectations. Let's dive into the text. We, and it was read for us. And we'll see if that slide shows up. That's cool. Just keep flipping the pages, Jim. <laughs> the writer tells us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangled, entangles. And I will tell you, I'm reading the NIV. So if it's a little different than the ESV, that's why it is, because I'm old enough to know the day the NIV came out when I was in seminary. So... It's a precious book. Okay. Um, <laughs> so he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right hand of the of throne of God. So let me stop there. So the language that I want to highlight, are, it's, he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The word run, this is not, uh, you, you aren't going to go, oh, that's a deep theological thought. It just means to spend one's strength in attaining something. And the concept there, it's a marathon. That's what this, uh, th this picture is of the games uh, in, in Rome and Greece that we're going to take it because the Christian life takes effort in it to attaining the goal of seeing Jesus. The other word there is perseverance, and the idea there is cheerful or hopeful, patient endurance. That's what that race is to be run like. So it's interesting that in the word, the Greek word, the, the concept of cheerful and hopeful is included in this concept of patiently endure, that 
there will be good things that come out of this. There will be joy. And lastly, the word race. Any struggles with dangers, annoyances, obstacles, standing in the way of faith and holiness. So we are to run with perseverance with our eyes fixed on Jesus. The author mentions the great cloud of witnesses, and I want to tell you about a great witness in my life. And those in my RC are sitting, many of them over here, and some here, they know this story. I had a, my grandfather, we call him Poppy. He lived to be 99 years old, 11 months and 10 days. So he almost made it to 100. And if you're old enough to know Willard Scott, he used to have 100-year-old people on the whatever, ABC, NBC, CBS, whatever he was doing. And they had his picture, and he died. Uh, short story about Poppy, born in the late, or yeah, late, early 1890s. Married twice, both wives died. One, he thinks by, he thought by breast cancer, but they didn't know because that's like in the early 15s or 20s. He had a son with that uh, woman. Her, his name was Warren. About 10 years later, Poppy married again. That wife lived about seven years, and they lived in the tenements in, uh, in Brooklyn. And then, I don't know what it was. He didn't remember. Something went through the tenement. Many people died, and his wife was one of them. So by the time... He's 40, 40 years old. It's, he's been a single dad twice, and, he, and, uh, and both his wives are gone. So um, what happened to Poppy in World War II? He served World War I, World War II. You know, he served. And, um, but his son Warren, that was, that was his name, was killed in World War II. So by the age of uh, mid-40s then, coming on, yeah, he's about 46, two wives and a son. And he doesn't know Jesus yet, okay? So about the age of 50, he's uh, still living in New York. And Billy Graham comes with his first crusade. And, and Poppy accepts Jesus there. About two years later, he gets set up, he gets set, he gets set up right, with my grandmother, Nana. Uh, her husband had, had bailed on her years before that. And they get married. So they get married the same year I'm born. <laughs> I'm a privileged child because I, <laughs> I had my, what was left of his life, we lived together. So about 43 years into his faith and, and my age, I stayed with him one, one day or one weekend, and we're having a good time. He was, he was basically deaf because he's 93 years old by then, but he could read lips well. I give him his paper one morning at breakfast. He notices it. You know, thank you. I, we finish eating. I go and sit in the living room. He comes in, and he hands me the paper, still rolled up, Daily News, because he's in Jersey. Um, so I looked at him, and he's looking at me. I said, Poppy, don't you want to read your paper? Because he was faithful, daily news guy. He said, no, not now. He said, I have to read my Bible. And so I don't know what possessed me. It was not being insolent or cocky. I just said, Poppy, you read your Bible every morning? He goes, yeah. So I said, have you missed a day? Don't ask me why, but I did. And he stopped. He looked at me, and he said, uh, no. Turns around, goes into his little study. By then... He was a King James guy. Big print King James with a magnifying glass, but that's what he's doing. <laughs> and he's reading the word. I'm like, 43 years. Uh, yeah, I, I try to emulate him as much as I can, but I've not. I've missed days, <laughs> many days. But, but I was amazed at his story and his faithfulness to the Lord and just how much he hung on to him. So then, based on those things, a couple thoughts. One is to run the race of faith well requires us to acknowledge running takes effort and there is joy in the journey. That's not too, 
I don't mean to be deep, but it's like, that's, that's what it takes. It takes effort, and there's joy in the journey. And I was reminded of John 21, you know, when Jesus meets the disciples after he's been resurrected, the boys have been fishing, they chuck the net in the water, no fish. Jesus says, calls them from the beach and goes, hey, other side. Okay, they throw it on the other side, and the net is full. And John says to Peter, it's him. And Peter says, I'm gone. Poop, out of the water he goes, out of the boat he goes, and he's coming across the water to see Jesus. I think as they ate that meal, and you gotta let your imagination go. They've been out fishing all night. They now have bread on the rocks. Smells pretty good, especially when you've been working all night. And you have fresh fish, and you have your Lord. You gotta be going. This is pretty cool. So to run the race requires us to acknowledge it takes effort and there's joy. Secondly, to run the race of faith well requires us to understand it lasts a lifetime. We are running a marathon. And you have to know that you entered the race, you were entered into the race, the, the immediate time Jesus entered your life. There's no choice. You don't go, I want to sign up. I don't want to sign up. You were signed up. So you're in it. So either get with it. <laughs> Or whatever. Um, <laughs> um, so to run the race, race well requires us to understand it's a lifetime. I'm reminded of John, the guy who I just mentioned, John, who wrote the book of John. Uh, one of the, uh, the disciple John, um, who was the only disciple not martyred, did not lose his life uh, by crucifixion or some other way. Church history tells us that John was exiled to Patmos for many, many years, and that he eventually died at Ephesus somewhere in his 90s, and the, the, I'll call them the scholars tell us that the book of Revelation was probably written about 90 AD. So that was the last thing John did. More than likely, he's in Ephesus, and more than likely, in a few years, he dies. So he had lived all that time without his brothers. He had been exiled. Everybody's dead except for John. And that was one of the things my grandfather told me. The worst part of getting to be 80 and 90 years old was all his friends had died. And he was by himself. My nana was there, of course, and family. But all his buddies who used to have go coffee with, nobody, nobody was left. The other point about running this race uh, and having the right expectations is this. To run the race of faith well requires continual training to understand the race marked out for us so we will not grow weary and lose heart. It requires training. In my mind, you have no choice but to train yourself, as Paul tells Timothy, to be godly. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Peter reminds us, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in what? The faith. He also says in 2 Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. He says, because of that, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. Because he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Increasing measure. It's, it's a lifetime. I will say that well, the one thing that, that Poppy did very well for me was a great prayer warrior, buddy. That, prayed, that guy prayed like nobody I've ever known. So that became his ministry in, in some ways to me. And then Peter says, 
But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. That's a scary thing, my friends. And I will say in my life, young life as a Christian guy in the Coast Guard, um, did I forget? Yep. Uh, didn't know what to do with the church. Didn't go to church for a couple of years. And it was not a great time in my life as a young man. But God and Jesus was faithful. So as we understand these, this training will reveal the hindrances that the writer talks about. We need to throw off those things. These are things that are good and are, are helpful to others, but might not be helpful to you. They might draw your attention from the most important thing, running the race. This training will reveal what sin in our lives needs to be thrown off as well. As we evaluate hindrances and sin, we become aware of the work of the enemy, Satan in our lives. Paul says that Satan has schemes or methods that he uses to knock us off course. So we need to be careful, we need to be aware, and we need to be, again, head on a swivel. A marathon race is, is a test of fitness and endurance. The race before us requires faith, stamina, commitment, and discipline in order to live faithfully. So God established the race, and we have an example, Jesus, to fix our eyes upon. We need to be aware of the forces that are at work to mark, to push us off our setting, and they are the world, the flesh, and the devil. How these work in, in your lives is depending on you as an individual and the past and present things we have faced. So what I, by, and, my, and my first point, the race is hard, but not without joy, requiring real and certain expectation, is followed by the second is the race is a group effort. You cannot run it alone because we need each other terribly. We need to remember that we are better together than apart. Our Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. It was meant to be lived in community. I want to show you a couple sections of Hebrews quickly, but let me give you a little background on Hebrews because we didn't talk much about that. Author is unknown, written about 60 AD, and the recipients were Jewish Hebrew believers who had come to know Christ and were under stiff persecution from two groups. The government, of course, because they were now Christians, and secondly, from fellow Hebrews. Their families, their families, their culture was calling them back to the practices of the Old Testament, and they were encouraged to denounce Jesus or at least participate in some of the sacrifices. And, and, and then you can do both. Um, I think that these folks, as I read about them, they lost their families when they became Christians, when they were baptized perhaps. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their families turned their backs and never spoke to them again. They lost their inheritances. If you were the, any one of the, the, the men in the family and you turned to Jesus, you, you were dead and they lost their occupations. They no longer were the son of and, oh, yeah, their dad's a great carpenter or whatever his trade was. They no longer went into the shop, went with them to work. They were totally, totally alone. So, again, we need to run this race together. 
And you're going to see a slide here about plurals. I love plurals. You know, people go, you love plurals. Plurals are good things. So up there, you'll see 183. I have to change that number because last yesterday morning when I was going through Hebrews again, I forgot to add the three one another's. So there's 186 plurals in this book of Hebrews in 13 chapters. That's pretty impressive. Do the math. 10 per chapter, maybe 12 per chapter. It's an amazing thing when you see this. Words such as us, we, our, your, together, brothers, uh, family, children, and one another's. Let me, if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can find it even quicker. You go back to Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verses 19 through 25. We'll look at this, this one, and there are, there are many behind it. So in Hebrews 10, 19, the conclusion of Hebrews begins here and then is interrupted by the, by the chapter on faith. But the writer says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we, second plural, have a great priest over the house of God, let us keep counting, draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he, is, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider what? How we may spur one another uh, toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me just take you down to verse 32. Uh, for a moment, the writer says, remember those early days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were exposed, public exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your excuse me, property because you, you knew that you, you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. I would encourage you to spend some time working backwards in the book of Hebrews. Uh, you will see multiple times where us and we are used. And again, we need to be together. I don't know how to say it any any louder than that, I do wish that, that we could have a Christian boot camp <laughs> for two weeks. Each of you take off time and work, okay? And when you go to this boot camp, you're going to do push-ups to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, <laughs> okay, we're going to do it to Hebrews 12. <laughs> Therefore, it's interesting. How many more push-ups? Until we get the verses done. If we could get you away for two weeks, personally, I'd like 10. But anyway, and, and just fix your eyes in the fellowship of believers on the word, on growth, I think we could do a great, a great deal for, for our church. But that is never, never going to happen. The bottom line is this. We need each other. You need us, and we need you. If you want to experience the love of Christ, get with the people of Christ. That's where you're going to understand what it means to be loved unconditionally. 
We come together to praise and encourage and exhort one another on a corporate meeting level like this is today, but it's not enough. We need to be more intimately involved and connected with others, and ultimately for us here, it's a redemption community. Some of you don't have the time or your schedules prohibit that, but it's possible to find some community in service teams such as greeters, coffee ministry, children's ministry. I encourage you to get in and find out what's available to you. Uh, like John mentioned, the rhythms class starts uh, next, uh, the 1st of February. Come and see. Come and see what's available for you to grow and come together. So I have one more thing that I want to encourage us on. And this is a, this is a shot that uh, I'm going to do, even though I've been praying about whether I should do it or not. So here we go. So a group effort, I would say now a church effort to listen. Do you know the, the hymn, Shane and Shane hymns live? Have you seen that? You need to see it, okay? Just go like this, okay? Just get your iPhones as you leave. Go to whatever that music icon thing is and get Shane. I don't know what they call it. But <laughs> Shane and Shane's hymn, hymns live. So, so here's my idea. I would like us as a church and, uh, to do this. There are 13 songs on that album. The last song is in Christ alone, okay? We love that one, buddy. That's a great setup. So for the next 12 months, listen to In Christ Alone before you do the next step, which is in this January, I would suggest that you listen to song one. Oh, it's in my notes, which is Is He Worthy? Man, you got to stand back, okay? And again, it's a choir, so it's just, it's just not them singing. It's a huge choir, okay? In February, it, again, Christ alone, and tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. In March, how great thou art. In April, come thou found of many blessings. In May, his mercy is more. June is amazing grace. July, I'll wait for you. My goal is that you will, during that month, if you don't want to sing in front of anybody, that's fine. Crank it up and sing it and learn the song so that as you're doing stuff during the month, it just comes to mind. And you burst out in the car, which many people do. It's really funny to watch people sing in the car. They're like, whoa. Um, and <laughs> but, but my hope would be, in fact, as I, I thought about this morning, I'd love us in Easter time as a congregation to sing, Is He Worthy Together in here. Could you imagine? Brings tears to my eyes already. <laughs> it would be great to sing congregationally and just blast it. And over the year, if you choose or have any inclination to do that, I'm, if, if you are, talk to me. I'd like to see what are you learning from those songs. And you can't jump ahead. You do one a month. In Christ alone in this. You'll be going, I want, no, no, no. That calls, that's called discipline. I will not go to number two until it's February 1st. Then you can, you can listen to three that, that February, you know, in Christ alone, um, uh, isn't, uh, is he worthy and um, tis so sweet. So I don't know. I just thought as we leave and as we consider our new year, it'd be, it'd be interesting to be focusing on uh, some music together and perhaps I'll get Stephen and Quinn and whoever else is singing, let's pick up some of those songs each month, see if we can do one, and just, and then I'll have a gauge. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> Please, get ready for the end of the month. Only kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but it would be great for us to be able to sing together and enjoy, enjoy with it. So let me close with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off 
everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, thanks for my friends who have come this morning. Lord, I pray that this scripture would be just forefront on their minds this year um, as they run the race of faith. Father, I have no idea what's going to happen this afternoon, tomorrow, or February, March, April, October, or November. But Lord, we trust you. We love you because you first loved us. We will look to you, Jesus, for strength and hope and direction. And we will look to each other, Father, as a body for exhortation, encouragement, and hope and love when things are going pretty hard in our lives. So, Father, thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen.